So if you don't know me and my wife, Casey, we've been married for 21 years this July, and we have four kids, Jude, Ben, Bron, and Kate, who are 15, 14, 11, and 9. Okay, there's six of us. And what that means is we can't go out to eat without it costing us an arm and a leg. We can't go to Taco Bell, you guys, for under $50. And we're just talking tacos, right? Like it's, it is crazy. So we don't get to eat out all the time, but our kids would say we never eat out. And that's not true. We ate out last week. It was great. Okay. But we have certain places that we'd like to go when we do go. And there's this Mexican restaurant in Noblesville that we really love. Great chips and salsa, great tacos. Everything on their menu is amazing. We have, we made friends with one of the waitresses there. It's great. But every time we go, no matter what we eat, no matter if there's all six of us or only two of us, we always have the same conversation. And it has to do with this picture, okay? There's a couple of these hanging on the wall. Like you see these two old people, they're having a staring contest, they're fighting. I don't know what they're doing. You can see it, right? But you also see the guy playing the guitar and his buddy singing. He's got something on his head and there's a chalice and it's an optical illusion, right? And we always talk about this. We always try to find something new and they've got like four or five or six of them around the room. And so it's just a fun thing that we always talk about. So I wanna have some fun with you today with some optical illusions. Now, the thing about optical illusions is a lot of times they tell you something about yourself, the way that you view the world. So here's a classic. Maybe you've seen this one before. How many of you see a rabbit? Wow, nobody with a rabbit. How many of you see a really weird looking duck? Okay, how many of you are like, I see a rabbit duck and it's really odd? right? It's really, it's really weird. I see a rabbit and people, people that see rabbits are geniuses. I made that up, right? It's weird. But it's a classic. Okay. Here's another one. Here's another one. I've never, I had never seen this one before. How many of you see two huts on a beach with some trees? Okay. How many of you see the elephant? You can see the elephant, right? Yeah. I saw a guy raise his hand, but he was here first service. So that does not count Jeremy McQuarrie. It doesn't count. It's a cheat. Now here's one that's a little trippy. Here's one that's a little trippy. Is he looking at you dead on or is he looking at you from the side? Yeah, it's weird, right? His ear would be weird if it was from the side, but it's, it's trippy, right? Now, you've heard the phrase, seeing is believing. We've all heard that phrase, seeing is believing. Yes, but when it comes to optical illusions, our brains are so fascinating. They work so fast that they actually fill in the gaps and they can fool us into thinking that we see something that isn't actually there. And today we're going to look at a story from John chapter 9 that's all about optics and sight. It's a story. It's an account, a historical account of a time where Jesus healed a man that was born blind. So he went from having no sight to physical sight. But then the people that see the guy with the sight that could see, they're like, I don't think that, I don't, I don't know that I believe that you can really see right now. And so while this guy gets physical sight, at the end of it, Jesus is condemning people for being spiritually blind. And so I want you to keep that in mind. Now, here's a question that I have for you on that note. How is your sight? Not your physical sight. How's your spiritual sight? Is it cloudy? Is it blurry? Are you walking in the darkness? Or are you walking in the light that Jesus has to offer? If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter nine. If you're new or visiting as a church family, it's probably helpful for you to know that as a church family, we're studying through the gospel of John in its entirety this year. And for the last few weeks, we've been in John 7, 8, 9. You could read it as one big chunk, one continuous story. And in John chapter 7, we learned this last week, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles was taking place, the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles. It was a week-long celebration. And at the very beginning of the feast, they would light these 16 giant torches that would light up most of the temple or all of the temple and most of the city of Jerusalem. 
That happened every day for this feast. And during the last day of the feast in John chapter 8, Jesus goes in front of those giant torches and Jesus says, I am the light of the world in the presence of those torches. My son, Ben, last week, I love this on the way home. He said, man, Jesus is so savage just to do that. Like, who does that? He says, I am the light of the world. Now, that happens in John 8. And then in John 9, he's going to start putting that light on display. He's going to show his disciples, this is what it looks like for the light to shine. But first, I want you to see how John 8 ends. I, somebody taught me this this week, and I just, I can't get past it. Chapter 8, verse 59. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. So Jesus said things that Jesus said, and it, it always infuriated somebody. And in this instance, it sparks a huge debate to the point that people are like literally throwing rocks at them. Now, we never have an account of a rock hitting Jesus or his disciples. And since May the 4th is this week, it started, I started thinking about Star Wars, right? May the 4th be with you also, right? It's like the stormtroopers. They have blasters and they shoot and they shoot. They can never hit their target. These religious leaders are awful. I don't know if the rocks went around them or what. They cannot seem to hit Jesus. But that's how the story, chapter 8 ends. And this is how chapter 9 begins. They're dodging rocks. Chapter 9, verse 1, as he went along, he saw a man born blind from birth. So we don't know how much time had passed. In my mind, I'm picturing them kind of jogging away and the disciples are kind of chuckling like, man, those guys just can't hit us for nothing, Jesus. This is amazing. I don't know. But what it says, it doesn't say they saw a man born blind from birth. It says he saw a man born blind from birth. Can you imagine somebody trying to kill you by throwing rocks at you? It's a little stressful. Didn't stress Jesus out though. He wasn't so, he didn't look past this man that could never see. And maybe you need to hear that today. Maybe there's something in life that is blindsiding you and you think no one sees you. He sees you. He saw this man that couldn't see. And so whatever it is, he sees you and he knows you. And just like this man, I really do believe he wants to help you. He wants to do something in our lives greater than we could ever imagine. So Jesus sees this man. Look at verse two. His disciples ask him a very insightful and sensitive question. Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Does that make you cringe just a little bit? Like, golly, guys, like, Tone it down a little bit. Who sinned, Jesus? Clearly something's wrong with this guy. I reached out to my friend, Jeff Moeller, this week to get some perspective on this story. Jeff is the president and CEO of Special Olympics in Indiana. He, he works with people with disabilities all the time. And I thought, I bet Jeff just has a really, some, some good insight for me here. And so he responded back to me and said, here's what's interesting. Special Olympic athletes and their parents ask this question all the time. Is there something wrong with me? Did I do this? What happened? And Jeff said, more than 50% of them are not able to be diagnosed. They could go to the best doctors and the best gen geneticists in the world. And more than half the time, the answer is going to be, we're sorry, we just don't have a good answer for you, which is really hard, isn't it? But then Jeff told me the story of a young lady named Allison. So I want to show you a picture of Allison. This is Allison and Jeff. This is a picture that Allison painted. But when Allison was being born, her mother, Gail, it, it, was, it was not good. The doctors got to a point where they're like, we got to do something. We're either going to leave, we're, we're going to lose mom and baby. What do we do? They had to make a split second decision. And so the doctor said, okay, we think if we save mom, 
we can save the baby. But if we save the baby, we can't save mom. So they chose to go to save mom, and they actually saved both of them. But in the process, Allison lost a lot of oxygen. She was deprived of oxygen for a while. And as a result, she has severe cerebral palsy. She has an intellectual disability, and she has very little function in her arms and legs. And as a result, she is confined to a wheelchair. But you know what's amazing about Allison? There's all kinds of limitations, but it doesn't stop her from painting pictures like that. That took her six hours using an apparatus that is attached to her head. That's how she painted this picture. So yeah, Allison's got a disability, but I would say that she's wildly talented and she has a lot to offer the world. Now, Jeff went one step further and asked Allison. He said, hey, Allison, I'm just curious. Do you think that the doctors made the right decision? And you know what Allison, that sweet human being said? Absolutely. I would rather have my mom with me and be disabled than to be completely healthy and not have my mom by my side. Now, I don't know about you. I need pers perspective shifts like that in my life because I would look at Allison's life and think, that must be so awful. And Allison's like, well, there's a bright side to it. So Jesus' disciples, they look at an instance like this and they're like, who sinned Jesus? Something's not right here. And Jesus says, I'm not going to get bogged down into that. He's got a better answer for them. Look at verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in him. Jesus says, I'm not going to get bogged down into this theological debate of the origin of evil. Here's what you guys need to know. Sin has damaged God's natural order in this world. In other words, this man is, is blind because he is a casualty of sin. He is not better or worse. You're not better than him. He's not worse than you. Sin has caused this. And what's true for that man and what's true for Allison is true for all of us. We might not have physical disabilities, but we have relational brokenness. Our emotions have been shattered. We've all had to deal with the consequences of sin. My mom died a few years ago, completely unexpectedly at 64 years old. And my mother-in-law died a few years before that at 64. My kids don't know a grandmother past the age of 64. That isn't fair. But that's the way life works. That's going to happen to some of us. Some of us will be born with disabilities. Some of us are going to lose people way too early. Some of us are going to encounter life-altering sicknesses and diseases. Relationships will fail. Marriages will end. Depression and anxiety will loom. But regardless of all of that suffering, Jesus says, I have come to give you hope. I have come to give you hope. I have the authority, Jesus says, to overcome all of that. And so while his disciples were focused on why this was happening, Jesus says, I want to refocus your vision on what God is able to do. Look at verses four and five. Jesus says, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I never saw this before. This is the second time in one chapter that Jesus repeats this phrase. I am the light of the world. I have come to push back the darkness. I have come to reshape your brokenness. Jesus says, but look, look at this. This part is amazing to me. As long as it is day, we. As long as it is day, Jesus says, we must go and do the work that my father has sent me to do. Jesus says, you guys are in this with me. So don't miss this. Jesus wants to do something amazing 
in your life, and he wants to do something amazing through your life also. But he says the night is coming. Time is limited. We don't have time to waste. And so I'm just, if I'm one of him, his disciples, I'm like, we, who's we? And what, what's this look like? Well, look at what Jesus does. He just keeps going. Verse six, after saying this, Jesus spit on the ground. He made some mud with saliva and he put it in the man's eyes. Verse seven, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, this, which means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. So first, Jesus is dodging rocks and now he's hawking loogies. We get all the really cool details in this story, right? Like you wouldn't, I don't think you'd make this up. This is the details of the story. Now, some scholars, I'm sorry, not scholars. It was actually believed in those times that saliva had healing qualities. But I think there's a lot more to it than this. Some scholars say that this is actually an act of recreation. If you go back to Genesis 1, how did God create the first man, Adam? Out of the dust of the earth. And so when he spits, he's making mud and he rubs it on this man's face. And it wasn't that his spit was powerful. It was that he was recreating him to be what God had wanted him to be. So I think, I, I'm like, okay, that, that makes sense. That seems to be what's happening. But I think there's even more to it than that. You can peel the layers back. Because Jesus puts the mud on this man's face and says, I want you to go to a very specific place, the pool of Siloam. Now here's a picture of the pool of Siloam. It was rediscovered in the city of Jerusalem in 2004. And it was the main source of water for the Feast of Tabernacles that was taking place. There was a lot of traffic coming through this area. And now Jesus is sending this blind man to that place. So put yourself in this blind man's shoes. Some guy you don't know, just spit on the ground, rub mud and saliva on your face. And he says, I want you to go to this place. I think somebody had to lead him there. I think you would probably feel like I know myself, I'm pretty self-conscious. I'd feel pretty embarrassed like, what's that look like? And this is weird. And, and then maybe he started thinking, well, I wonder if this is going to work. And we don't know when it worked. We just know that after he washed, this man who was blind could see. But before his sight was restored, he had a really important decision to make. Am I going to trust this man named Jesus that just rubbed mud on my face? Or am I going to get mad and just sit here? Well, he believed. He responded in faith and obedience. And what was the result? A man that could never see can now see. So if you're taking notes, write this one down. Faith and obedience go a long way with God. Faith and obedience go a very long way with God. So if you're having a difficult time seeing God in your life right now, here's a question for you. Has he been asking you to do something? in faith and obedience that you are resisting or ignoring, that might be part of your problem. That might be your blind spot. <clears throat> the result of this man's faith and obedience was that Jesus did something that didn't seem possible. So imagine what he would want to do in me and you if we could respond to him in faith and obedience. Now, does that mean that you're gonna get everything that you pray for and that you're gonna be instantly healed? That's up to God. But what we see in this man's story is it hinges on his faith and his obedience to this man named Jesus. So where's Jesus calling you to be faithful and obedient right now? Has he been encouraging you to pick up the phone and make that phone call to restore the relationship, to say, I forgive you, or to say, I'm sorry? Is there a specific sin 
but he has been saying, you need to tell somebody about this. Is there a specific relationship where he says, you know, this isn't right. You got to get out of this. Is there an addiction that he's saying, you need to stop and you need to get help? Is he challenging you to treat people better? To speak to people differently? Is he nudging you to serve? Are you cheating him when it comes to your finances? Maybe you need to practice obeying your parents and respecting them regardless of how old they are. Is he calling you to surrender to him in faith? Jesus is calling, I'm convinced of this, every human on the planet to respond to him in faith and obedience. Because just like the man in the story, he wants to do something amazing that we could never imagine. But that's where it's going to begin. Remember two weeks ago on Easter when we were so excited to celebrate the empty tomb and we were like clapping and celebrating, yay, Jesus rose from the dead. That is evidence that he has called us to a different way of life. That is a life of faith and a life of obedience to him because he's overcome death. That's where it begins. That's this man's story. Now, in the story, this man is gonna go back to the neighborhood that he lived in. This is, I think this is a really interesting detail. Look at verse eight. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Here's a really sad thing. They don't know his name. Isn't that the blind guy? The blind beggar guy? Like that's sad. Isn't that the guy? This would have been the moment that he would get to hear their voices and connect it with their faces you would think that there'd be celebration. Verse nine, some claim that he was the guy. Others said, no, he only looks like that guy. It's an optical illusion. But he himself insisted, no, 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 I'm the guy. How is it then that you can see all of a sudden? Pay attention to this. He replied, the man they call Jesus. It's not like my buddy Jesus. The man they call Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. And he told me to go to Siloam and wash very specific details. So I went and washed, and then I could see, where is this guy? And he says, I don't know. Hey, guys, I was blind over there, and he told me to go over here. When I opened my eyes, he wasn't there. I don't know where he is, but I can see. Isn't this, isn't this fascinating? You ever had a day like that? Something really cool happens. You're like, I cannot wait to share this. And then you share it, and people are like, yeah, but. And they start poking all the holes, and you're like, you're a terrible friend. We're done. You're dead to me. We're done here. Right? That's this guy's life. He goes to share with his neighbors. And here's what's crazy. They could see that he could see. And they're like, I don't know, maybe. The darkness was so familiar. The darkness was all they had known. And so they're like, yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. And aren't we like that? Don't we get trapped in the darkness? Our doubt and our disappointments blur our vision. Our cynicism clouds our mind and it blocks our sight. And then we become stubborn and hard-hearted and we refuse to believe. So if you keep reading the story, this guy's neighbors do a really cool thing for him. They take him to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, which would be the equivalent of taking him to small claims court. Hey, we're not going to party. You need to go in for some questioning. Doesn't that sound, what great friends these are, right? And as he's sharing his story, they don't celebrate. They get really mad that this man named Jesus healed this guy on the Sabbath. Now, we've talked about Sabbath in here before. In, in Jewish tradition, Sabbath is a 24-hour period from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday where you would rest from work, you would worship God, you would enjoy life. 
But the religious leaders, these Pharisees, they had become professionals at making religious rules and regulations, and they loved policing the Sabbath. And anything in their mind that looked like work, bad news. So to them, spitting on the ground, work, strike one. Strike two, you made mud with your spit. You picked it up and put it in your hands, strike two. Oh, and then you healed the guy, strikes four, five, and six. You're thrown out of the game, Jesus. They were livid over this. Can you see the irony? This man that couldn't see can see. The people that could see were completely spiritually blind. What irony. And here's what's sad about these religious leaders. They're living in the darkness caused fear for everybody around them. If you keep reading, here's what happens. They call in this man's parents and they say, is this your son? Yes, this is our son. Could, was he born blind? Yes, he was born blind. How can he see? This is his parents' response. Ah, he's a grown man. You need to talk to him. His parents were so afraid to go to bat for him. They couldn't celebrate. They just said, ah, sorry, buddy. You're on your own on this one. Guys, that's sad. That's terrible. You can see the battle of spiritual light and darkness playing out in this man's life. His life's been forever changed and everybody's like, Ugh. It, it, like it, what should be great is actually awful. Verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man in who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I love this guy's response, verse 25. I don't know whether or not he is a sinner. All I know is that I was blind and now I can see. You do with that whatever you want. No one wanted to celebrate. His neighbors doubted. His parents struggled to support him. And now his religious leaders are getting ready to kick him out of their community. Look at verse 34. Listen to this. You were born a total sinner. And now you're trying to teach us. And they threw him out of the synagogue. In the original language, it means to be de-synagogued. And that, that didn't just mean that he couldn't worship God with, with people. It meant he was cast out of the community and cursed. They would literally curse them. No business contacts, no social security. You're out on your own. And by the way, what had he done? He had begged like he had always had. He was sitting there and all of a sudden he just went and washed the mud off the way that this guy Jesus told him to. Now he's kicked out. But that's not the end of his story. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Now this title, son of man, is an Old Testament title about the Messiah. So basically Jesus is saying, do you believe in the coming Messiah? Look at this guy's response, verse 36. Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I might believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believed and he worshiped him. Don't miss this detail. We get to see this man's whole progression of faith in John chapter nine. In verse 11, when he's first questioned, he says, the man named Jesus did this. And then when he's questioned again, they said, what do you think of him? He said, I think he's a prophet. And then they brought him in to question him again. He says, I believe he's from God. And now he says, you're the Messiah. In one chapter, so here's, this, here's the encouragement. Here's the challenge. This man didn't have deep theological knowledge. He had an encounter with Jesus. And reading and studying scripture is so good. It's so important for us. 
But some of us think, well, I got to do that to make God happy. No, faith and obedience, faith and obedience, faith and obedience. That's this man's story. And he worshiped Jesus. And I think we need to be reminded of that. Yes, engage with him daily in scripture, but just come to him in faith and obedience. So as we wrap up, there's two things I want to I wanna share with you that you can walk out of here with. First of all, Jesus wants to do something amazing in you, just like he did in this man. He wants to give you hope. He wants to give you a brand new future. He has come to die in your place for your sins so that through faith in him, you are forgiven, you are restored, you are redeemed, you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, you're adopted into God's family. That's what Jesus has come to do. And we could go around the room. I'm looking at faces of people that I know that could say, I could tell you a story of an addiction that was broken because of my faith in Jesus. And I could tell you a story of my marriage that was messed up, but through Jesus, he has healed us. We could go around the room and share these stories. And that's what this man does. We share our story. So Jesus wants to do something amazing in you, but he also wants to do something amazing through you. But you know what this means? It means he is going to confront me in you to honor him in faith and obedience. He is going to convict us to repent of our sin. And if we realize that we're heading away from him, we turn and we come back to him because he's empowered us to heal broken relationships. And he is inviting us to know him and walk with him daily. He is calling us to reconnect with the church family like this so we can have family outside of our family and make his name great. But it's going to start with faith and obedience. And this man, this blind man, his, his initial response is, Lord, I believe and he worshiped. If you want to know where to begin, you say, Lord, I believe and you worship. It's not that complicated. He wants to do something amazing in you. He wants to do something through you. This man, every time he was asked about his story, he just gave the details. I was blind, now I can see. Jesus did this. I was blind, now I can see. Jesus did this. That's the way it works. And that's what he, I believe, is calling us to. So my friend Jeff Moeller at Special Olympics, when I reached out to him this week, I was asking for his perspective. But man, he did me one better. He put me in touch uh, through email with a, with a guy named Nicholas. Nicholas is a man that's been born blind. Blind from birth. And and. Jeff asked him, hey, what's your take on John 9? And I want you to hear this blind man's words. I wish that what happened to that man would happen to me. I'd love to be able to see and live a normal life. The man in this story didn't realize that he would not only receive his sight, but he would get to see Jesus face to face, the son of man. But that's not all. Jesus looked inside of his life. But then Nicholas goes on to say, those of us with disabilities, we're not normal. We face challenges every day, just like this man. But as someone that is blind, don't miss this. As someone that is blind, I know that the great Lord is at my side every day. And I can feel the love of the Lord in my heart. And then he closed with these words. You never know when you're gonna speak to Jesus and be face to face with him in his presence. You know what I learned from Nicholas this week? He can see a lot better than me. His eyes don't work here, but man, these eyes and Nicholas, I think there's a lot for us to learn from a guy like Nicholas because he said, I can feel, I know that he's with me. So for those of us that follow Jesus, maybe we just need to recalibrate our sight through faith and obedience. Maybe we shouldn't take our physical sight for granted. Maybe this is a hindrance for us to actually see him here. And so as we walk through this week, what would it look like for us to walk in the light 
of the world that he gives us and to shine that light and share his story everywhere we go and stop making it about us and stop complaining about all the things that aren't working and say, Jesus, you're the light of the world. Shine bright in me. Or maybe you've been walking on the fence of faith with Jesus for a long time and you think that there's something you gotta know. There's gotta be something I gotta do. Is that this man's story? It's faith and it's obedience. It's turning to him and saying, I believe, and now I want to follow you. Listen to how Jesus ends in chapter 9, verse 39. He says, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who will see become blind. That sounds really harsh, but what did he do for this man? He gave him his physical sight and he saved him eternally. You don't want to walk. We don't want to walk through this world blind. Turn your eyes to Jesus. Come to him in faith. If you're ready to begin walking with him today, you can find me or Kevin Russell after service. We'll be up front. Or maybe you just need someone to pray with you. We would love to pray with you. But start where you are and begin walking with him today in faith and obedience. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm so thankful for this story and for this man's amazing faith and trust in you. And Jesus, I believe, I believe that you really did heal that man. And I believe you could do the same thing right now. Would you move in each and every one of us individually? Would you help us to hear your voice, to respond to you in faith and obedience today? I pray for those that hear my voice, that are walking the fence of faith. I I pray that you would shine their light, your light so bright that they couldn't help but come and move towards you. Jesus, you are the light of the world, but you also said we are the light of the world. Would you help us? Would you open the eyes of our heart to shine bright for you every day? We love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.